0: Well, good morning, Redemption Church. So great to be with you guys. Wow. Oh, you guys are so, so kind. Now, before we get into anything, I just want to say, Taryn slayed that. Uh, She, no, yeah, you should cheer for her. That was awesome. So I've got a theory. I got an idea now. What we're going to do from now on, he's not Jesse anymore. That's Taryn's brother. All right? So we're going to flip that script. We're going to make it happen, everything else. I'm like, I want to hear her preach now. That was so fun. So anyway... Great job, love that, and and now I want to go to camp too. So that's what I know. So hopefully uh, you're thinking about that. So yes, I was away. I was in the homeland. I went to Scotland, the place where old castles are as common as cannabis dispensaries in Everett. Like everywhere you look, man, there's a castle. There's a castle. There. Like this is like a different kind of Everett. It's just really cool. So did that, had a great time, great weather, saw a bazillion things, uh, but now we're back at it. But in the meantime, too, I want to give a shout out to Pastor Scott, did a great job with the three-week series. Yeah, if then... Super appreciated that, but now we are back at it in First John, the bloggiest book of the New Testament. And today we're going to finish up First John, and then for the next two Sundays we're going to do Second and Third John, wrap it all together. Because hey, since we're there, we might as well do all three. It is a trilogy. Uh, but before we do that, I've got a little uh, housekeeping to tend to. So a couple of announcements you need to know about. First of all, uh, at the end of this series will be the month of July, and we're going to have a whole series called the Five of July. All right, that's the heart behind this, and this is kind of celebrating democracy. You get a chance to vote, all right? So what it is, is between now and toward the end of the month, you can text in any topic, you want to text in, and we're going to take all those topics, look at them, kind of reduce them down to the top 10, and then you all will vote on the top 10 to reduce that down to five, and then I am bound to have to communicate on those five things, whatever they might be, right? So it's kind of an adventure for all of us, and so if you're like, did Adam have a belly button? Put that in. I'll talk about that if you want, you know? If it's like, hey, or tongues for today, bought a Honda, shoulda bought a Yamaha, I'll talk about that. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll do whatever, so it's going to be a fun series, so make sure you Text in topics So that we can Toward the end of the month Vote on those That's going to be Really really great So looking forward to that that's first uh, a little bit of housekeeping. The other thing is you know that we are currently in a giving campaign. This is kind of this, this push for some of the stuff related to the hub. We have a target goal by the 25th of this month for $440,000. We've been sort of parked right now in this kind of high 50s to 60% range of having fulfilled it so far. have two more weeks left. So again, if you've been thinking about uh, giving to that, this is the time. This is the big push. And so we want to make sure uh, we're kind of just thinking about that, praying about that, and contributing to that because the hub is underway, things are going on, but obviously there's always these new unique things we run into. That's very much uh, what these financial things are all about, so you want to keep that in mind. And then the third bit of housekeeping is, yes, we do have an app. And in the app, not only are there notes that you can follow along with today, uh, but there's also other great things like, you know, you you have information as far as our news as a church. Uh, There's prayer requests that you can make, and I don't know what's going on in your world, but I know that, man, life can be hard. There can be challenges that come our way, and uh, we want to pray for you with that. So, tomorrow night, we have an elder meeting, for example, and if you send in a prayer need to that on the app, just tap that tile, send it to us, hey, we're going to faithfully pray for you. So, if you got something that's weighing on you, or even just something good, but say, hey, I want to have some people praying about that, we would love to do that as well. So, again, just some options before you. So, want to keep that in mind, but with that said, I want to dive into today. I feel like I've had a lot of things to say in the first five minutes of being up here, or six, or seven, whatever it is. So, I want to pray, and we're going to get right to business, and we're going to see what Jesus has for us today. So, let's go ahead and do it together. Jesus. Man, it is great to be back with uh, a people that I love, a people that you love, and I love that you are using this community of faith in this uh, area of our country and world to make a difference for you. And, and uh, my heart and prayer is that... That we would do that very thing. That we would uh, show that life is better with you. That we would do things for the good of our city. That we would really seek to be like you, Jesus, and take the Bible seriously, and all these things that we talk about as our values as a church. And I think that especially with the uh, building that's coming down on Main Street, and 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 what we're doing down there, uh, I, I just pray in advance that you will do great things. Through us and with us and that we will remain pliable and humble and dependent on you uh, So that we uh, just bring the very best to the table in what it is you are seeking to accomplish And so we ask that you teach us today that you will move in our soul today And that you will remind us of things that really help us to be more like you, Jesus And so uh, we look to you and we love you, we certainly thank you And we are, are desperate for more of you in our life And so, man, make that abundantly fulfilled in us We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your grace and your perfect name. Amen. All right. So God's agenda for your life and my life, our collective life, is that our lives would be abundant. And, And I say that not because I'm making that up and I'm trying to be, you know, kind of like pushing some happy agenda, but because Jesus himself, when he came onto the scene, said that very thing in the gospel of John. He says, I've come to do something unlike what the enemy does. The enemy kills and steals and destroys, but I wanna give life and give it abundantly, give it richly, fully, and deeply. That is his agenda. But when I say that, I I wanna make sure that we don't kind of uh, go down a a, a slightly bumpy path with that. I I don't want us to assume that in saying, life is better with Jesus, and he came to give us abundant life, that we go, oh, well, then that means life's gonna be easier with Jesus. Or life is simpler if you just follow Jesus, or life is carefree if you just have Jesus in your life. See, if there's anything I've learned over my 30 years of kind of taking my faith seriously is that, you know what, sometimes life is messier when you have Jesus in it. Sometimes life is complicated. Life can be hard or painful or taxing, when you have Jesus at the center of your life. It can be. And and the proof is just looking at the apostles. The proof is looking at the early church. The proof is looking at Christians all over the world in different contexts. Sometimes following Jesus can be very, very challenging. And yet, still at the core, I believe ultimately that life is better with Jesus because Jesus is the essence of fully alive life. And that's why John makes such a big deal about this, right? Like, if you were to distill down John's focus, he's, man, I'm about God and Jesus bringing life. You look at the gospel of John over 40 times, he's life, 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 life. And First John, uh, 12 times, he's talking about life. And if the John of the gospel and letters is the same John that wrote Revelation, which we're not sure, but if it is, you see even there, he's talking about a book of life, a tree of life, a river of life. So the theme is pretty profound, It is why then, again, as a church, we say life is better with Jesus. Because it's fuller, it's richer, it's completed in him. And so as John is ending the body of his letter, he just doubles down on that one last time in verses 11 through 12. He says, this is what God has testified. And when we were together like a month ago, right, when we were in 1 John last time, uh, we learned about the testimony of God, that God has declared, said, proclaimed a thing. And here John's just repeating that. God has testified to us that he has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And whoever has the son, they have life. It's abundant, it's full, it's complete, it's eternal. Whoever doesn't have God's son does not have life. And so John is very clear here, and he's very certain about what he's driving at. And and this is why I say this is his theme. It's a profound theme, because for him, um, this is what most counts. And for him, what he's trying to get at, even at the core of this idea of life, is that what we have in this life is connection with God, or fellowship with God, which then shapes our fellowship with one another. That's all in the collective idea. See, one of the things I love about reading the New Testament is it's not one kind of monolithic voice, but the different writers come with different perspectives. They're moved by different things, and that's a cool thing. That's not like a weird thing. That's a cool thing. So for Paul, he's very judicial, and he's very forensic, and he's talking about God as judge, and we must be justified in God's sight, and it's like a courtroom feel to his theology. But for John, he's like, no, no. That's cool. I love Paul. He's right. That's true. But for for John, he's like, I want to talk about friendship with God. I want to talk about unity with God. I want to talk about connection with God. I want to focus on the fact that God came into the world to reconnect us to him, him to us, us to one another in this idea of fellowship, right? That we would be a community with God and with one another that is so unique, it brings transformation to the world. And so for five chapters, he's been weaving that theme. What it means for us to look like that kind of community To bring transformation to the world And so that's why In chapter 5 verses 11 and 12 As he's kind of ending the legitimate body Of his letter he's like hey it's about life Like I started at the beginning I'm saying at the end it's all about life And then when we go into verse 13 What you see from verse 13 To verse 21 Is kind of like a postscript So the letter ends at 12 and then John's like Oh but here's a couple of PS's for you that I want to make sure you don't forget in light of what I've just talked to you about And so today we're going to look at the three postscripts of the end of his letter Three things that he wants to drive home, three values He knows that we need to hold dear as we move beyond his blog And so if you're taking notes with this this morning The first is something that he's been pounding through the letter And he wants to remind one last time And that is assurance Assurance in our belief assurance in our salvation? How can we know that we really have life with God? How can we know that we've really been transformed and changed? How can we know? And this has been driving him all the way throughout. Like, he's pretty hot to this topic, in a good way, because he wants followers of Jesus to have this sense of confidence The sense of joy. In fact, that's what he writes about. He's like, I write these things so that you can have joy and certainty that you know Christ. Christ who is God. Christ who is man. There's other people in his community. They're trying to rewrite who Jesus is. And he's like, no, this is who Christ really is. And if you really know him, he really brings change to you. And so in verse 13, he reminds. He says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, the true Jesus as defined by himself, He says, I write this thing so that you, to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Right, this is referring to the entire body of the letter up to this point. He's like, I've taken the time to write on parchment this set of truths so you can understand. And if we sift through the previous five chapters and this idea of having assurance, there's three things that emerge as kind of, again, these values, and, and, and these three things, I want to be clear. It's not, hey, if you do these three things, then you're saved. That's not what it is. It's rather, if you're saved, you will do these three things. These three things will matter to you. They'll be a part of your identity. They'll be a part of your daily pursuit in some fashion or form. Greater, lesser, good days, bad days. But you're going to be moving in this direction because you can't help but do so because you've been changed by this Grace of the gospel And so how do we know that we have a changed Life we live life change That's his point point. and so first He's going to say the way you're going to live Is you're going to live like Jesus Right that's the first thing You want to know if you're really a different Person well you're going to say Whatever Jesus does that's what I want to do And that's what he said in chapter 2 and chapter 4 right he says we're going to live Like Jesus in this world that's going to Be a priority for us and, and when I think about this, um, I, I think about that "What would Jesus do?" thing, right? Like the bracelet, the bumper sticker, the keychain, the T-shirt, the headband, whatever. There was all this WWJD, and I remember at first I'm like, "Oh, this is kind of a weird, sticky Christian thing." But then I'm like, "This is genius, actually. It really is." I mean, imagine if the lens of our life every day was asking ourselves that question. Well, what would Jesus do when I'm driving on the 405 and somebody's stupid in a car in front of me? I'm sure he wouldn't do that thing we want to do, right? Or or what would I do in this work circumstance where people are infighting? What would Jesus have me do there? What would Jesus protest? What would Jesus boycott? What would Jesus stand against? What would Jesus stand for? Who would Jesus hang out with? Who would Jesus warn? Right? Right? How would Jesus love, right? That idea of what would Jesus do, I I think John would say grab onto that and run with that because that's a great way to assess all the things of life. So like when you're in your marriage and you start to feel like, man, the salsa level's rising between the two of you, there's friction growing, what would Jesus do right now? That's a really helpful tool. You're in some epic battle with your kid, right? It's a showdown of authority. Well, what would Jesus do? Right. Again, it doesn't mean that we're always going to come to the exact same answer in every single way, but, but man, that is a helpful lens for the way that we do life. And so John would say, hey man, that's the first way you know that you care about trying to think in terms of living life like Jesus. The second thing John would say as far as how we can have assurance is that we love like God. And this was a major theme, right? Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4— three times John goes way out of his way to talk about love and and his point is real simple God is love and if the God of love who is the very essence of that has touched you with his love then you can't help but love what God loves And, and so in that sense when we're thinking about okay what does it mean to have assurance it means man I value the deepest value of God And I value that so deeply, I want to make sure I'm going out of my way to share that and show that with the people around me. In fact, John even doubles down on that, and he's like, hey, if we can't manage to love the people we can see, how can we then really say we love the God that we can't see? Love becomes the evidence and proof of a transformed and changed life. And I get it, because again, if I'm saying I love God, and God says, well, I command you to love your neighbor, even love your enemy, I go, man, that's hard, but Because I so love you. I I want to do this thing and love them, even the most difficult of them, even the ones that are most taxing, or even the ones that are hurtful to me sometimes, or don't care for me, or would love to see my life go off the rails. Like, I still want to love those people because I love you and you love me, and that's what it means for me to show that I love you. And so that is a sense of assurance. But then the third proof is that we learn. In the spirit And John talked about this as well In chapter 2 and chapter 4 He says hey man The people that are truly changed by Jesus Truly saved They don't have need of a teacher Because they have the Holy Spirit Who can teach them everything Now I know that's a little wonky Because you're like Whoa so I don't need any teachers Teachers are bad now No The New Testament affirms Teachers are good Jesus was a teacher. John was a teacher. The apostles were teachers. You have pastors and, and, and scholars and writers and bloggers and podcasters and all these things that are our teachers in life. Those are good things. But his point is there's something deeply embedded into the authentically changed person where the spirit resonates stuff in us. Where we go, man, I, I, I want more of this, more of him. I want to be more of what he wants me to be. And I'm learning from the Spirit as he guides and teaches and unleashes things in my life. That's kind of the heart behind this whole concept here. And, and, and so those three things, right? Living like Jesus, loving like God, learning in the Spirit, those are sort of the evidences. Now with that, here's what I want to be clear about. Um, we're not all going to do those perfectly, and my fear sometimes with this is we go, oh, if I'm not nailing it all the time, then am I really saved? Do I really know Jesus? Maybe I gotta get saved again, or maybe I was never saved to begin with. And we have all these giant questions. Here's what I'd say. If, if all three of those things, you go, I don't care, then maybe you should have a conversation with God, right? Like maybe you should be like, I don't know if I've been changed. But what I find in my own life is that sometimes all three of those, man, it's like that, it's firing. I love it, I'm doing it, I'm chasing that. But other times there's dry seasons man other times it's it can be hard or or maybe some of those i'm doing better than others right so i'm 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 trying to love like god but i'm not always living like jesus or i'm learning from the spirit but i'm not always loving like god like there can be these times where some are weaker and some are stronger but i think the the trajectory is what matters if my heart is that these things would be true then, in my estimation, that's proof that God is working in me. I'm growing. I'm adapting. I'm being slowly transformed, because if there's anything I know, it's that Christian growth, it's, it's not like your grass week one after fertilizing, right? Where you're like, I gotta mow that every two days. It's not like that. Christian growth is like, is like a redwood. It's slow. It's a ring a year, Right? Has different challenges at different times Sometimes it's drought, sometimes it's wind Sometimes it's winter, sometimes it's summer Like that is true to Christian growth But the more we're just saying Hey but I'm still in this this trend of Wanting to be these three things Well that's how we can have assurance From this assurance then Paul talks about Or not Paul but John rather Talks about prayer And in this he talks about prayer In faithfulness That's where he's going to move into in this little postscript now when I got to this section, I was trying to struggle with how do I title this particular point, right? I, I titled it prayer and faithfulness, but just as easily I could have titled it faithfulness and prayer, or praying for faithfulness, or praying faithfully, or faith-filled prayer, all these different options, because I'm like, well, I'm not sure exactly the angle John's taking, right? So I'm like, well, I'm going to go with this one because that's the closest I can get, right? But in John's context, he's, he's, he's talking about something that has a nuance to it when it comes to prayer, And so, in his post credit scenes, he says this in verse 14. He says, We are confident when it comes to prayer that he hears us, right? We're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything according to his will. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, then we also know that he will give us whatever we ask. Now, this is very reminiscent of what we saw back in chapter 3, verse 21, when he said, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him now you might recall when we were back in chapter 3 i talked about this verse and i was very open like that's my jam i love to be open with you and go this is kind of a hard verse for me this is a challenging one and now john kind of says it again in a different way and it's kind of challenging because we have him saying like hey it's a blank check whatever we ask we're gonna get and and then you look at that blank check and you go but i've asked for some things and it wasn't like that i could cash that check like our experience kind of is, is challenged by the absolute statement that john's making here now at the end here in chapter five he adds something in there that maybe lessens the blow a little bit which is well if we pray anything according to his will Right? He hears us, and then he gives us whatever we ask. And so it kind of connects the will of God to the asking of a thing of God, and we go, maybe that's how you soften the blow. But again, just in a moment of transparency, right, as I try to wrestle with the text, because I think sometimes the Bible isn't so easy, and it causes us to wrestle, and the wrestling's a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, I, I look at this and I go, well, when it talks about the will of God, which will are we talking about? Because you may not realize this, there's two different kinds of will right when it comes to gods Um, the first will is what we see in the book it's that kind of concrete stated it says it this is what god wants for your life this is true for all followers of jesus kind of thing that's one form of god's will and so if john's talking about that then then what we should look at and say well if if god says he wants a thing for our lives and then we pray for the thing that he states in his word that he wants for us we should get that very thing but what do we know sometimes it doesn't always happen, right? Like, there are faithful followers of Jesus that go, well, I'm, I'm praying for a clearly stated will of God thing. He wants this for my life or the, the life of somebody I care about. And yet, it's, it's not happening. Why is it not happening? Right? Think about the things. Like, God says, uh, do not fear. But, but there are Christians that are just trapped with fear for years on end. And they pray desperately, God, I don't want to fear. God, take away the fear, help me not to fear. You've said 365 times in your word, don't fear, but I fear. And so it can be a little hard. Or those who struggle with depression and anxiety and it just doesn't alleviate and it doesn't go away. And it's like, God, you don't want me to be depressed. You don't want me to to, to, to be drawn down. You want me to have joy. This is what you say, I'm, I'm commanded to have joy. So God, give me joy. And then they don't feel like there's joy. It can be really hard. There are people that grow up in Christian families and they're like, my my sexuality or my identity does not fit what is my family's kind of stated belief system, and so they pray, God, take away, God, make a change, God, do a thing, and and yet it doesn't alleviate, it doesn't go away. There's so many things that we we would know that we can feel like, man, God, if you say so, God, take away my addiction, and yet the addiction just has a grip. See, I'm not saying that to, to go, oh, now I, I doubt the passage. I, I'm simply acknowledging what I think a lot of us kind of wonder. And so when John is saying this, I, I go, well, is that what he means by praying according to his will? Is it the concrete stuff? Because if it is, I, I just know a lot of times we go, well, it doesn't seem like we're always alleviated of those concrete things that we're asking that are good, but don't get pried away or taken care of like we would assume. So maybe it's the other kind of will. The other kind of will is kind of that hidden, mysterious will. Maybe that's what John's talking about. Where it's a particular circumstance, like, should I buy a house or not buy a house? Should I marry this person or not marry? Is it now the time for kids or now not the time for kids? Like, those are those things where we can't go right to the text and go, oh, there's the clearly stated will. We're trying to figure it out. So maybe that's what John's talking about when we when we pray we come to God and we're trying to seek his will And and if we kind of coordinate with or we align with what he's wanting to do and going to do And all of the stars kind of align then it's going to happen like maybe that's what it is that he's getting at But even that can be a little challenging because again You're never quite sure what is and what isn't his will and if you are or aren't aligning with it all of that It just kind of kind of becomes a challenge so Kind of in this, you have like this uh, just tension. And, and in the tension, I, I, I found that some people, they want to clean up the tension by saying, well, the problem is you're just not following the formula. Right? So they, they treat this as kind of like a formula, which I, I kind of have on a slide here. They'll say, well, if you just obey him and you do the things that please him, plus you ask for anything according to his will, and you know that he's hearing you, then he's going to give you whatever you ask. So it, it, it's like the health, wealth, and prosperity people or the ones that say, you know what? The problem is you just don't have enough faith, right? You're just not obeying enough. If you just obeyed more, God would have done it, but you weren't obeying enough, so God isn't doing it. And see, I hear that one, and I, I, I don't agree with that one, right? And I don't agree with it because I, I find so often that it it, it just it's, it can be discouraging for people where they start to think like, had I just gotten it more right? God would have taken away this thing God would have given that thing If I was just more on point More perfect I would have turned the magic dial And God's great pinata in the sky Would have been beaten with this divine stick And all the candy of my blessings Would flow from, from this cloud You know like, like, like That can be the pressure And so as I have personally wrestled Through this passage And wrestle is the right word because I guarantee you on both seeking his mysterious will or even a stated will, I've, I pray a lot of things looking at this passage going, but why? And yet what I've come to realize that it's a little bit more like the graphic that I've made of a bunch of balls, right? All together swirling these ideas where I think we're supposed to be in tension. I, I think there's supposed to be the sense where I'm, I'm wrestling with God and I'm wrestling through things and I am obeying him And I'm seeking to please him and I'm all, I am bringing really great requests I think sometimes to him and I'm trying to understand his will and I know that he hears me and it's in that Swirling process that also what can happen is God starts to move your thinking more to his thinking He starts to shape your your wants more to his wants. He starts to give you peace that, you know what, he may not ask what you're asking for, but he's gonna do a thing in you that gives you more of what you need than you thought you needed, right? Like there's a, a shaping that happens in the tension. There's a sense of rawness that can occur when we're pouring out. And asking and maybe not getting the answer that we thought. So it's not always in every way whatever we ask, we're gonna get, but rather he's gonna work in everything in every way. And somehow in the midst of that, he's gonna give us what we we need, which ultimately is what we really want anyway. Right? Like I think about it with Jesus. Jesus wanted to skip the cross when he was praying, right? He's in the garden. God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That was that was his request. In prayer, can we skip the cross? And and yet God didn't give him whatever he asked. God gave him what he needed. What does he need at that moment? Strengthening. He sends angels to minister him, to strengthen him, to then rise with resolve and face the cross. See, I I, I think that wrestling tension that I see in Jesus there is the wrestling tension that we all have, we all should have. And so John says something that sometimes kind of jars us. But it reminds us it's about dwelling more than simply requesting and it's being shaped by not just seeking things It's wanting the healer not just the healing the giver not just the the gift. I think there's a song about that That's what it's about wanting him to be present with us. That's really the essence of our prayers As so john says, hey man pray But then he brings in a particular thing to pray about in this community that he writes to He says in verse 16, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who are committing it. All wicked actions or injustices or unrighteousness are sins, but not every sin leads to death. Now, if you're paying attention and you're looking at that and hearing it and reading it, you should do this right now. Huh? Right? If you're processing it. Huh? Right? Because look look what he says here. Um, It it seems that the death here is not biological. It's spiritual. And so he says, there are sins that will lead to spiritual death. And then there are sins that don't lead to spiritual death. And if you see somebody doing the sins that don't lead to spiritual death, pray for those people so that they have life, even though their sins aren't going to lead to spiritual death. But then there's other people that are engaged in sins that lead to spiritual death. And he says, nah, you can let them rot. You don't have to pray for them. I mean, you can if you want, but you don't need to. That's weird, right? Like, we're just honest for a minute. I, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just looking at it going, that's a weird thing. Right, and, 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 and so if I try to pull it together, I go, well, what, what the, what's the difference? What are the sins that lead to death that I don't need to pray about in the lives of people? What are the sins that don't lead to death, but they... That, that I should pray so that they have some kind of rejuvenation of life. Like, what do I do with that? Well, the reality is, we don't know. Like, we're, we're not given the, the behind the scenes of John's community to say, oh, well, here's the sins that lead to death that I don't need to pray about. Here are the sins that don't lead to death, but I do need to pray about. We're not given that. I could guess all day. I could speculate, right? I could say, like, the sin that leads to death is miracle whip on a cheese sandwich. That's 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 a crime. That's... That's a, that's a curse, you know? Or, or people that drive slow in the passing lane, that's a sin that leads to death that I'm not praying about. Right? Or politics at Thanksgiving. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Like, what are the sins that leads to death that I don't need to pray about? I don't know. Some scholars will say, well, it might be the people that were deconstructing in John's community, the, the people that were redefining Jesus and, and saying he wasn't really the Christ as we know, and he wasn't man, he was just God, and he didn't come in physical form the whole time, just a portion of the time, and, and maybe that's the group. But then it would be odd that John would say, don't pray for people who are struggling with or walking away from the faith. Like, that would be strange, right? So I, I, again, I just go, I don't know the difference between the two categories, right? If I did, I would tell you. But but I don't know and I don't think anybody knows and this is just sometimes when you're reading other people's mail You just aren't fully sure of the whole story behind the story And that's okay because I have a solution. My solution is very simple. Just pray for everything Right, like there was a thing that they didn't have to worry about But since I don't know, I'm gonna pray for everything So when we see things in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters that we go That's gonna sting That's gonna hurt that's gonna be collateral damage, that that's gonna wound their soul, that that takes away fully abundant life when they are doing those things, we should pray. And you know the great thing about this? If we're busy praying, we don't have time to be judgmental, we don't have time to gossip or slander or avoid. We don't have time to realize that we're better than they are. Like None of that's there, right? We're just praying for them. I just love them. I care for them. They see them in bad straits. I'm going to pray for them. That's a really great solution. And so I say, that is the solution. And what we're praying about in all of this is that they would be refreshed in their heart and reoriented in their decisions and renewed in their walk. Whatever it takes, God, man, bring them back around to you and let them know the final thing that John pushes, the fact that they have victory in life. If they know Jesus, they're our brother and sister. They have victory. Even if they're walking in things that seem defeating or could bring defeat to their lives and can be hard on their soul, man, they have victory. And so with this, he closes with three assertions, two truths, and one kind of cautionary reminder. And this is kind of the go get them sparky speech at the end, all right? So assertion number one. He says, we know that in verse 18, God's children do not make a practice of sinning for God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. That's just, m- memorize that one. When you're feeling beaten down, defeated, you're getting in your own way, right? You're stumbling over your own feet because you're making decisions that you know are harmful to you, harmful to others, harmful to God. In the midst of that, just go, but wait, I have what I need to overcome, The enemy cannot best me on this day or any day. I have power from Christ. I have power in the Spirit. I have a way to strive and achieve and get out of the hole that I'm in because that is the promise. That's assertion number one. Assertion number two, we know that. We are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Yes, we are strangers in a strange land why peter says we are sojourners we're exiles right this is not our home as we know it and there's going to be evil things and evil events and evil ideas and yet we are children of god and as children of god our calling isn't to look at all those evil things and go i'm afraid i'm gonna hide i'm gonna complain i'm gonna again protest picket boycott whatever it is no paul does us a favor he says hey man you in an evil environment overcome evil by doing good you're the light in the darkness right you're the salt of the earth and when we live as light and we live as salt then people can see the good works of god through our lives and give glory to god in heaven so again if we're god's kids we shouldn't look at the evil things and just be like oh it's so bad no we should say no god is so good we shouldn't be like the sky's falling we should say the sky's the limit because we're god's kids. And God's doing a mighty thing in his people. And so that's assertion two. And then assertion three. He says, we know that the son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. Look at that. He's come, he's given, we know. Right, just boom, boom, boom. And what do we know? We know now that we live in fellowship with the true God. And we know now that we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. He, God, is the only true God, and He, Jesus, is the eternal life. That's John's kind of wrap-up, which means, hey, we're in fellowship with the Almighty God of the universe. Nothing can stop us in every good way to do good things. And every good way to be a blessing in our world, and every good way to live like Jesus, love like God, learn in the Spirit, that is at our disposal. And this gets you through sometimes the darkest nights. I can guarantee you I've had dark nights of the soul. And yet this is what pulls me through. Just as much as, you know what, you can have the best, brightest days, and that's the blessing that keeps you going. So these are all the promises, the truths, the assertions that John makes. Then he closes with a warning And his warning is Don't lose sight of what you have Don't start to sub out your hope And faith in lesser things Verse 21 He says dear children One final idea Keep away from idols Keep away from anything That might take God's place In your hearts Now this is sort of a strange conclusion For John because he's never talked about idols In his entire letter it's never been a thing. There's been mischaracterization, mischaracterization of Jesus. He, uh, there's never been anything about false gods of the Romans or anything else. Like, he's not gotten into that topic. So it's weird that he chucks it here at the end, but I think it's because he knows that we are all prone to follow idols in some way. Uh, uh, like, I think it was Martin Luther who said, our hearts are like an idol factory. We're always looking for an idol. And, and I'll simplify what an idol is. An idol is anything we look at and we say, that dictates my joy or my grief. A, an idol is anything where we say, that will get me out of my hellish problem in life and it will give me a little slice of heaven on this earth. Right? It can save me. So my money can save me. My relationships can save me. My brain can save me. My government can save me. Right? Any number of things can be an idol. And even in Jesus' day, the, the idols of, like, His first century ministry were even like the law of God, religion, ethics, where people trusted in those more than they trusted in God. There's all sorts of things that can be an idol. And so John just warns us, listen, don't give way to those things. There is one God. Follow that one God. Don't trust in the lesser things that are not God. And the only way we can insulate that is living in everyday fellowship with God. Every day being needy, every day being desperate, every day being open and honest and prayerful and reliant, right? And, and desiring more, as feeble as it might be. Even on the days where you're like, I don't want to try. I'm just too tired, too frustrated, too doubting, too discouraged. Still, fight for something, right? Because even in the midst of that, God's grace can show through. I can tell you that's true for me There are times where it's just so hard and i'm like, I don't even want to try And god's like but i'm telling you i'll meet you there I'll meet you in some little way even when it's hard Ward off the idols Press into the true god. Let's go ahead and pray together I know there may be some of you here today or someone watching online and Friend brought you, you you found us on the interweb somehow, whatever it is, and or maybe you just started coming and you're like, I'm not a Christian, but but I am curious. And maybe today you feel like you want to go from curious to committed, curious to Christ follower. We, We talk about this every Sunday that for you, wherever you're at, God is meeting you. And he's meeting you saying, hey, I've come into the world to rekindle a relationship between you and God. I've come into the world to deal with the problem of our sin and missing the mark so that we can be changed. So that we can then pursue loving like God, living like Jesus, learning in the spirit. And if that's you today where you're like, man, I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a a, a legitimate person of the way of Christ. um, You just pray, Jesus, take me, forgive me, use me, transform me. I want to start a journey with you. And if you make that your personal prayer this morning, we'd love to know. There'll be a number on the screen that you can text to, or there's a Thailand on app you can click on and say, hey, I decided to follow Jesus today. We would love to know that so we can come alongside you, pray for you, encourage you, give you some tools so that you can uh, be on the journey. And for the rest of us, man, I know, Jesus, we come to you, and we know that life is hard, life is challenging. But we also know that it is rewarding when we live it in and for you, even on the hardest days, you secure us and stabilize us and give us what we need and so we thank you for that. We thank you for you and we thank you that you are working in us. We praise you this day, Jesus, in your good name.